0: Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and by DieHard. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 117. And we're here in Studio C around an unusual round table today. I kind of like this better. I don't know about you folks. I agree. Uh, and around the round table, writer-producer Brian Robinson. Hello, John. Our road test producer Ben Davis. Hello, hello. Assistant producer Greg Carlos. That is me. And writer extraordinaire Patrick Lucas. Hello. All right, we'll have our lightning round. We even have a viewer question, and we've even got something new. But uh, the cars we're going to talk about today... Uh, let's start with the Porsche 918 Spyder, probably an, among uh, certainly Porsche enthusiasts, the car they'd most like to get some time in. And Greg, that's exactly what happened to you recently on a trip to Atlanta. So tell us a little bit about this uh, electric uh, gasoline monster. Yeah, I mean it's on everybody, every car enthusiast wish list, and
1: even people who aren't into cars. I mean it's the you know the big Porsche now. Um, I got to say, it came away really impressed. Um, you know, I know it's a big price tag, but uh, that but aside. it's a super Exactly, and it is a supercar. I mean, um, you've got the uh, 4.6 liter V8, and then you've got the two electric motors. Mm-hmm. You've got one in the back, one in the, uh, one in the front. Um, so essentially, all-wheel drive, independent all-wheel drive system. Um, 887 horsepower, 940-some pound-feet of torque um the thing that i was most impressed with is i was driving it on um just driving it back on uh, normal roads and it was like the la ferrari in the way that it's really comfortable actually um inside (laughs) inside you didn't
0: feel like you were basically in something strange i mean in other words it was it was comfortable it was you could drive it every day yeah uh, definitely um
1: and i've I'll go against the um, McLaren P1. That one really beat you up inside, yeah. I feel like. This one was, um, you know, really nice. Uh, on the track, though, it's just crazy. It's just so much so much power, and um, but it's so easily attainable for the, you know, you don't have to be an F1 driver to be able to use this car's potential.
0: You know, all of the European supercars seem to be going this route where you basically have a gas engine and one or more electric motors, and you come out with these, you know, in this case, nearly 1,000 horsepower, Do you think, I mean, since this is basically an adaption of hybrid, but I think with a little bit more, certainly more turned uh, towards performance, but do you think this kind of powertrain makes sense for the everyday Joe car? You know, yeah, we've got Priuses, yeah, we've got hybrids here and there, but they're still treated somewhat special. Is this the the -the run-of-the-mill powertrain of the future, this type? I think it very well could be. I mean, it makes sense to me. because
1: there, if you can have something that – it doesn't get the range that, say, Leaf would yet with you getting like uh, – you get maybe like 20 miles or so right. on it. But there's a lot of times that you don't need more than that to get to where you're going. So, Or if
0: you're in a city yeah. uh, like in Europe where they're talking about banning gasoline cars at, during certain hours of the day
1: and then you 've got that gasoline powered motor or engine to back you up if you don 't have enough range. I mean it really is the best of both worlds, and I could see it definitely being the uh,
0: the way of the future i I was around when Porsche unveiled uh, the the original concept, and I must tell you i I never thought they'd built it Yeah, you mentioned the
2: steep price tag, but you compare it to the to the uh, uh LaFerrari and P1 they're both well over a million mm. so it's kind of a bargain now this is yeah. like what like 875 yeah, yeah it seems like kind <laughs> of a bargain when you hold it up to those guys
0: anybody else want to you know are we just putting the drill I saw back some our of the footage
3: it looked a lot better than I thought it would those uh that exhaust that exit out behind the rear window yeah that's, that's insane that was
0: a pretty big
1: deal for them they said there was um I mean, not only does it look cool, sound cool. I mean, but it actually gets that air out of the uh, out of the engine uh, a lot faster than you would normally be able to, and that helps with
2: the performance. Yeah, it keeps if- the uh, engine bay temperatures down with, yeah. with yeah. the turbo, and
1: then with the battery and everything. There's no the engine doesn't power any auxiliary anything, so it's no external. Everything belt or is, the, is the battery, right? So well, that's
3: another performance boost there. If it rained, it would collect down in there, or is there like? There's, there's trucker flaps over them there uh, there's
1: they, they keep it out of there somehow then mm-hmm. it's not like an obvious way but i think you don't really have to worry about it too much yeah. but i'm sure it'll be garage i could deal with worrying <laughs> you could probably <laughs> afford a garage
0: did <laughs> you yeah. feel like every uh, gendarme in uh, georgia was uh, tagging along after i you? can't tell you how many people almost cause accidents trying to I take bet. pictures of this car all right, Porsche 918 Spyder. From there, we're going to transition to a car that's only a little bit more practical. Uh, Audi has uh, shown us the uh, second generation of their supercar, the R8. And as the last gap, since we love the first one so well, we've got a 2015 of the model of the existing R8 uh, V10N and had a go with it. So let me ask, do you think it's aged well? I mean, here was Audi's first supercar. It's been what, seven, eight years since it came out? I think for for the most part, yes. But after having driven
2: uh driven the Oricon, which is what the new R is gonna be based on, you can definitely feel its age in the interior. You know, it's got real gauges instead of uh, digital panels mm-hmm. like everything else. But uh,
3: yeah. Which was nice. Yeah. It's got the old uh data screen in between the gauges yeah. where you're used to seeing look crazy graphics of the tft and stuff
0: <laughs> it, it's funny i i agree with you i got in it and i felt like wow this is really dated and i'm sure that's because we see all the new stuff i'm not sure the average driver of course the average driver is not going to buy an r8 it was still fun to drive but oh, yeah. i noticed more clink clunks and you know just things like oh, okay it's not quite keeping up yeah this was the v10 plus which we mm-hmm. never
2: tested before whoa so, the brakes killers yeah. insane yeah
3: crazy brakes
4: yeah, it was pretty uh it was pretty rough, and uh, I wouldn't say clunky, although maybe that is the right word, but yeah. you can definitely feel it. You can definitely feel that this is a serious performance-only kind of car.
0: The uh, The ceramic brakes that came on this car caught me by surprise. We've had plenty of Porsches in with ceramic brakes, but I don't remember any of them grabbing like these did.
2: They were, like, off on, and they yeah. were huge. They are bigger than wheels on the a lot of cars we get in here.
0: The, um, the interesting thing is the how the car has held its price. I look back to some of the first model year uh, R8s, and not saying people are getting it, but they're demanding, you know, for a 30,000 miles and under, anywhere from high 60s to high 70s for them, a little bit less for the V8. And you're looking at that and thinking, that's almost obtainable, but then you have to step back and say, you know, that's almost the price of a Z06. Which what would you rather have? Would you rather have something that this car still turns heads everywhere you go? I, I could settle for a nine eleven.
3: I think. Yeah, probably try, buy a about brand the same new. One. Price. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: But still, um, cool car. And so, those of you that had not driven it before, um, what did you think? Because some of us have driven quite a few. But
4: yeah, I'd never driven one before. Uh, I took it out, found a nice straight uh, stretch of road. Um, you know i won't say what it is because i was, I was going kind of fast but uh it, it was uh it was pretty crazy i'd heard a lot about it um and you know i mean it is what it is it's
0: so a, it met your expectations yeah or? ton of
4: power really fast i mean you just step on the gas and that thing just goes and it's got you know all the good sounds you'd want um i thought it was exactly what i was mean advertised. you you
0: just got out of the 918 so i mean obviously these are two different animals but yeah. did you think it was still playing in the supercar class
1: uh, it's hard for me to put it in the supercar class because it, I mean, it is a lot of horsepower. It's like five fifty, 50 or something yeah. like that. So, but again, it's not like supercar power. It's more um, like
0: a standard run of the mill exotic car yeah, power.
2: And that's, and that's it's just in the three seconds zero to sixty yeah. range. That's which,
1: just a testament to how other cars have caught up. And I, I would say, me having not driven one before, I expected to be a little bit more refined. But since it is an older car, I'm assuming that other vehicles have caught up in that department so you know and when I it first came fair. out i'm
0: sure it was very refined Yeah, we were awestruck well, i think that's a very fair comment though it's it's time for for an update and the new one doesn't look that much different so it's like you'll probably if you're an aficionado you'll know the difference but a lot of people probably won't okay let's move on to something totally mainstream uh we just finished uh our latest uh comparison test that we do every about four or five times a year with our friends at Cars.com and also USA Today. And this one was uh, about the red-hot compact uh, utility uh, market, our compact SUV challenge, if you were. Uh, We had seven competitors. Uh, Not every manufacturer was represented, but it was a good, solid group. Brian Robinson was our point person on the challenge. So, Brian, tell us a little about it
2: um yeah you pretty much uh summed up the uh, and let's go to the next there. subject no <laughs> yeah
0: um you know it's
2: an important segment obviously like you said and uh it was a difficult one because uh some of these comparisons there's clearly favorites and not favorites this was like driving the same exact vehicle seven times and uh so they all have the exact kind of same features all the prices were really similar this time around so it really came down to nitpicking little things here and there. Uh, ride quality and interior noise were big ones. Some of them are uh, really quiet. Some are excessively noisy. So uh, at the end of the day, it was the Honda CRV that was the winner, which is also one uh, last time we did this. So uh, repeat winner. Oh. And they
0: just did a, an, an update on it. As <laughs> yeah. We've got a complete road test on the show. and so
2: Good overall you know, ride quality, lots of space, super low load floor. Uh, makes getting stuff in and out uh, really easy. Really easy to fold seats, you know, interior layout, really nice. Um, that's kind of all in all why. Is Any it,
0: surprises? I'm sorry.
2: So,
3: Is it safe to say that was among the quietest? Because I drove that thing down to Hershey last week, and uh, I thought it was tremendously noisy inside.
2: Uh, I think it was mid-pack as far as yeah. noise. It definitely wasn't the quietest. All right, that makes me feel better. But it, uh, wasn't, you know, Nissan Rogue. Uh, Subaru Forester, Mazda CX-5, they were all pretty noisy inside, more so than the CR-V. But as far as surprises, yeah, Subaru Forester, which is really doing well sales-wise. And keeps
0: getting picked by so many people. Yeah, that, the
2: top didn't, small. Uh, that didn't finish well, mostly because of, the, again, the interior noise and some of the interior materials some people thought weren't quite up to par. But still
4: working but. on their old... Interior
0: layout, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, so. And the Rav Four didn't do well, which, of course, is the one that started this whole trend.
2: Yeah, I'm not really sure how that happened because I thought it had a really good balance as far as ride quality and handling. Uh, I think mostly it was just again interior materials, some noise issues. But
0: there wasn't going back to what you said originally. There really wasn't a pig in the bunch.
2: No, uh, some of these, uh, yeah, some of these comparisons. Someone will win by like 100 points. Here they were all they were all close to within 100 points. All seven of them. So it was really close. Uh, and,
0: unfortunately, this is such a big um, uh, category. Not every manufacturer was able to meet the, the stipulations on fuel economy and, and uh, cap on price. Right. The
2: price cap was 28000 and I think twenty six combined fuel economy. It is
0: be. probably one of the most, uh, well, if not the very most competitive uh, segment out there. Yeah.
2: Maybe no surprise. Both GMs were there, Equinox and Terrain, and they both did well, second and third place. And I think mainly just for a rear seat room. You know, it's probably the only one in that group. They tend to be a
0: little bit bigger than the others.
2: Yeah, it's the only one in that group where the adults could really sit in the back seats and feel comfortable.
0: Uh, But a good test, and and if you're in the market for uh, a compact uh, SUV, uh, certainly worth noting. And all of the results, we should point out, are available on the Cars.com website. Uh, But watch Motor Week for the pictures. Okay, thanks, Mm -hmm. Brian. Uh, Now it's time to move on to our lightning round. This is where our panelists have two minutes to debate trending automotive topics. And this time up, when the time is up, we'll hear the bell. Patrick? Um, The Toyota hydrogen car. Mirai. I always get it Uh, wrong. Uh, The Toyota Mirai. Uh, It's going on sale in the U.S. Uh, Also, of course, it's going to be available first in California. Um, As a refresher, it's a hydrogen fuel cell-powered four-door sedan, Uh, a little bit smaller than the Camry. It's actually based on the European uh, Camry equivalent. Uh, We've seen hydrogen fuel cell attempts from others, uh, Hyundai with the Tucson. Of course, uh, Honda also has a car coming to market, and they've been around doing it for a while. About $45,000 or so after tax incentives, gets 300 miles on a tank. All right. Do you, us sitting around the table, you know, hydrogen is always one of these things. that's about ten years off as far as practicality. Well, now they're actually going on sale. They've been on sale in limited conditions before. Does this kind of car? Do you think it has real appeal? Is this a publicity stunt for Toyota, who seems to have sort of skipped over the battery uh, powered car more or less? Do we ever think? Uh, that this is now the time for this particular alternative fuel to take off. Comments and a go. Start the clock. I
1: think that um, hydrogen has kind of taken a back seat. I would say like 10 years ago, that was... I would say a lot of people probably thought that would be the wave of the future, but now that EVs and the plug-in hybrid and everything else has caught on, the hybrids are getting better. um, People have kind of forgotten about the the whole hydrogen uh, fuel cell, so I... And the, the problem there is is the infrastructure, from what I hear, is that it's just so hard to find a, a yeah. filling station. Almost it's possible. scary.
4: I, yeah. I read some story last year about somebody who bought one of the, the Hyundai Tucsons, mm-hmm. and they said it was, like, just, like, horrifying. Like, you had – talking about range anxiety, this was like – you. I mean, where is my next station to fill up? I have no idea.
0: You really basically have to use, be on – you're on a tether. You have, yeah, you have to, like, Even plot out your
4: route everywhere you go. And so and that's a pretty steep price, too. I mean, this was – I can't remember how much the tax incentives were, but I think before it, it was like almost Mm $60,000 to pay for this vehicle.
2: How does it compare to the FCX Honda, which... They did they stop selling those? Or are they still available?
4: No,
0: it's it's available. The, yeah. That's is that the new one? That's the new one. Yeah, the FCS yeah. Clarity or whatever. Well, at. the Clarity's gone, but there's a new car. Oh, okay, which I believe there's is called
4: FCV maybe or something. something. FCV. I, I, I read that. We should a know years better, ago. but we don't. But anyway, <laughs>
0: both both Toyota and Honda have similar sedans coming to market right now, which will be sold in California, and and it's like the early electric cars. Most of the um, uh, statistics or specs are. are very similar you just have to wonder building on what greg said with hybrids getting so sophisticated and people really very happy with hybrid fuel economy whether uh, this is not so much future think that you know barring the government coming in and putting in the infrastructure i mean it's not even like natural gas where you've got an infrastructure
2: and we're getting so close on evs as far as making them practical i mean Mm -hmm. why? Why would I want a big hydrogen tank in my car and I can just get an EV and plug that in every couple hundred miles? Between the fast
0: chargers that can do like 80% of the charge in 45 minutes, we just got in a couple of portable chargers that you can carry with you. They cost like five, six hundred bucks. You sort of just have to wonder if maybe in this case, Toyota said, we're doing very well with hybrids. We're going to pass over electric cars because we don't want to mess up our hybrid sales. But I don't know.
2: Maybe they've been getting all this money for hydrogen development. They had to put something out to show for it, I guess.
0: Well, when you've got more money than any other car company in the world. <laughs> what do they claim? They say they
1: spend like a million dollars
0: every hour in research and development something. something. like that. Uh, we do too, right? Yeah. Something like that. All right. Let's move on to our viewer question. And this uh, is from Jacques. And he says, I have a 2015 Acura TLX. So do we, of course. And it has suspension noise, especially in the winter. Uh, he saw one of our last long-term road test updates about the car we have. We had the same problem. Uh, ours was, I believe, on the left side. Uh, you said you took the car back to the garage. Can you tell me what they fixed or how, what they did? My dealer, he says, he says, he does not know what caused it.
2: Um, yeah, I'll take care of that one. We uh, did have some noise in our front end of the TLX, took it back. There is a technical service bulletin on the strut mounting bolts. Um I called this morning to confirm that there still is a TSB on that. So, if your dealer says he has no idea about that, um, he needs to do a better job of checking. But yeah, it's just a matter of retorquing the strut bolts. I can't say that his noise is exactly the same what we were having, but there is a TSB. On the front strut mounting bolts.
0: This is kind of one of our pet peeves about some dealers is when a problem is not readily apparent. They've either not checked their TSBs or they basically tell the the customer they don't know or it's normal. And if you're a customer of a car and you're getting that kind of response from the dealer... Press them. And remember, you always have the recourse of contacting the manufacturer. There's all kind of information in the back of your owner's manual. You can arrange to meet with someone from the manufacturer. And usually just that scheduling appointment will put a little bit of a fire under the uh, uh, dealer and get them to maybe take your problem a little more seriously. But don't take uh, a brush off as an answer. Uh, We have a very good Acura dealer, and he basically went right to it knew exactly what the problem was and took care of it uh, almost before we even got it out of our mouth telling him. All right. Thanks, Brian. Um, Now we're going to do something new. Our producer, Patrick Lucas, has uh, come up with a new um, segment called Rant and Rave. So this is anything, and let's say anything, automotive on anybody's mind, Uh, current stories, developments in the auto world, trends, whatever. Would anybody like to rant about something?
3: (laughs) Well, I have a quick rant before you get to a bigger rant. Uh, The lack of a volume knob. True story. (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, for my generation generations before – the term crank it up, you just want to reach out and twist that volume knob and be at maximum <laughs> rock. You have to hit it. Like well, him. it's Multiple worse in our
2: situation if someone drove the car before you and left like watercolors cranked up to max volume, <laughs> John. <laughs> Thanks and, a lot. And, and you have to get in there and like turn it down because it's like hurting your ears. Oh, no, no, wait a minute. <laughs> and there's no volume knob, and you're looking for a rocket switch, <laughs> I've, I've you it, got to press and cranky. press and press. I could make press. the
0: same case about uh, a lot of other stations, but you know. It's not just – I actually I totally agree with you, but I actually miss it on the station selector too because sometimes no. you just want to twist the dial a little bit and see what comes up. And, and to take your eyes and, and your hands away from the steering wheel, bother. You can't call it old-fashioned. It's just the way it should be. It's almost human nature. <laughs> Anybody else with a rant or rave? Well, the, to play off that,
1: the I've noticed in Hyundais and Kios is when you you do have a tune knob, but it's so slow. It's like you really have to go click by click to even There's get like it to no go the There's no it
0: just spins. And yeah. yeah, it takes forever. The more yeah. that you spend it, the slower it goes. Almost. Yeah. yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's, that's a pain. All right, so we're uh, I rant and rave this week it has to do a lot with some of the new controls, and it's interesting. Manufacturers keep bringing back the buttons and the knobs, but here we go again. Um, I know some of the newest cars that we'll be talking about in the next few months um, are going away again. So I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> All right, thanks very much for that. And if you've got uh, anything that you'd like to send us uh, as a viewer question or if you want to suggest a rant and rave, make sure you contact us uh, through our website at motorweek.org or pbs.org slash motorweek. And that brings to a close our MotorWeek podcast number 117. I'd like to thank our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, and our podcast pr- uh, producer, who's sitting here with us today, Patrick Lucas. He's otherwise known as the man with the bell. Thank you all for listening and for watching MotorWeek on public television stations around the country, as well as on the Velocity Channel. And I better hush because I'm running out of breath. I'm John Davis. For all of us at MotorWeek, thanks for listening and watching MotorWeek. You have been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com,
3: RockAuto.com, and by DieHard. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org.
0: And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series each week on your local PBS station.